That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a battle waging between two companies. They're at war with each other. We have Microsoft with Bing announcing their new chat, the new AI system, and they're even tying it in with Microsoft Edge, trying to take market share from the leading company in both browsers and search. That's right, Microsoft is at war with Google. They're trying to take market share from Google's Chrome, and they're trying to take market share, more importantly, from Google search. And this attack is meaningful. Microsoft is going after the most profitable business in tech, the best business in tech. And here's the interesting thing. The most profitable, large software business is search. So I look at this and say, look, I just have to earn one user at a time, an incremental GM. I've never, ever felt this liberated in terms of opportunity in the days ahead. Satya Nadella is correct. The search business is more profitable and arguably the best business in existence. And he wants to be taking one user at a time. Now, of course, Google's not gonna be taking this battle lying down. They were quick to retaliate. And we know that Google has been long praised as the AI company, the company that expresses their interest in AI more than any of them, the company that's been working on and perfecting AI for a long period of time. So they are announcing BARD, an experimental conversational AI service powered by Lambda, built using large language models and drawing on information from the web. And Google's even starting to release the first look at BARD and how this works. So we have a battle of two titans, Microsoft and Google, and I'm gonna explain in this video why Microsoft has already won. And then finally, we have more and more news of rookie traders. These aren't investors, these are traders leaving the market. This one is from January 1st, 2023. Then we had a more recent article from the same Wall Street Journal saying the retreat of the amateur investor. They call this guy an investor, when he's not really an investor. So I'm going to be looking over this trend of retail traders and so-called investors leaving the market after taking their losses and going through how I think we can avoid a similar fate. So as always, we have a lot to get to in this episode. Let's go ahead and jump right in and we'll start off with a quick portfolio update. We do this every single week so I can show you what I'm investing in and how things are working out. Now, so far this year, the portfolio has basically kept up with the S&P 500. It hasn't had any huge outperformance. And that's because a lot of the companies that I'm investing in are very high quality companies. The companies that are doing really well right now are lower quality companies. So if you're invested in a lot more speculative, lower quality companies, you're probably having a very good month. But so far, year to date, my portfolio is up around 9% and the S&P 500 is up around 8%. So we're basically in line with it. Now, one thing that I'll note is that this portfolio is becoming more and more concentrated over time. And I don't think that most people know how concentrated this is actually becoming. When I was looking at my actual holding weightings illustrated, I realized that I'm really concentrating into just a few positions. For example, here's my holding view on Qualtrum. This shows how much I have invested in every single position. So off to the left here, we have my top five biggest holdings. 47,000 into S&P Global. That's a new company I just bought into this year. We have Vici at 46,000, Apple at 44, Microsoft at 44, and Texas Roadhouse, the $6 billion market cap company at $42,000 position. All of these positions are above a 10% holding weighting. That is 50% of my overall portfolio in just these five companies. In fact, the 10% area is right around here. So all of these are above 10%. And then we have the next two largest, MasterCard, at $38,000 into that one. That one's around an eight to 9% weighting. And then we have Costco, 
similar size, 37,000. So I have seven individual holdings that make up around 10%, and then I also have the ETF, SCHD. So to put this in perspective, these eight holdings together make up around 80% of my total portfolio value. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And then these last holdings, these last seven, they make up around 20%. So my portfolio over time has changed from a very diversified one where I had around 50 to 60 different holdings to now one where I'm very concentrated. The majority of my invested capital are in seven different companies. And many of my top holdings right now, they're not even top holdings in the index. For example, S&P Global, this is not even a top 50 holding in the market. Vici, the real estate company, is in the S&P 500, but this isn't even a top 200 holding in the S&P 500. And then Texas Roadhouse, one of my largest holdings isn't even in the S&P 500. So we'll see how this turns out over time. And either way, I'll show you the progress and the results. Now, one of the large companies in my portfolio, of course, is Microsoft. In this portfolio, I don't hold anything like Google, Amazon, Meta, or Tesla. I hold Microsoft and Apple as both very large holdings. Now, like I mentioned earlier in the preview of this show, Microsoft has started to wage a war against Google. And this is something that I love to see. Politicians and anti-capitalists will tell you that big companies like this that are monopolies, they never actually fight with each other. They always just work in harmony with each other and they stay insulated as a monopoly. But we know that's not true. Once you study big tech, you realize that these companies are fiercely competitive with each other. Microsoft tried to go to battle with Apple with the phone and they failed. But then they went to battle with Amazon with cloud computing and they've largely succeeded in that long drawn out battle. Both of them in that case are doing really well. So we have Microsoft trying to take battles to different large companies and they've set their aim on Google. Now you might think that this isn't a big deal, that this is only one little part of Microsoft, but this is actually a big deal. Search is arguably the best business on planet Earth. When you look at the moat margins and metrics of search, it's hard to come by any any business that's ever been better in history. This company has grown revenues repeatedly above 17% every single year. Every single year for over 20 years, 17% revenues. For the majority of this, it was not economically sensitive. It wasn't cyclical. The revenue didn't go down with the broader economy during recessions or times of slowness. Google kept growing with their core business search year after year after year. And no matter how many competitors came after them, they always succeeded with their wide monopolistic moat. And what we can see is even with the free cash flows of the company, they were generating enormous amounts of free cash flow from the very beginning. All the way back in 2002, this company posted $120 million in free cash flow. 2003, the free cash flow went up to $220 million. Imagine your company doubling free cash flow year after year right from the beginning. And this continued on. The free cash flow is explosive. It's grown at a compound annual growth rate at 16% for the past decade. So the free cash flow growth has barely slowed down even over a 20-year run. There's hardly any businesses like this that can keep up this level of growth for even a three or four-year period, let alone a 20-plus year period. And this isn't even 
a company that was succeeding in the public markets. A lot of people aren't aware of how powerful this growth was before this company was listed as a public company. Here's something that you won't see that often. Google IPO'd in 2004. So before 2004, the company was a private company. And a lot of people aren't aware of the actual financials and growth metrics and profitability metrics of this company as a private company before it went public to the general markets. Here's a look at Google's financials as a private company prior to 2004. Take a look at the revenue line. In 1999, Google revenued $220,000. So $220,000, and then one year later, they revenued $19 million. So obviously a ton of growth that first year, albeit off of a very low base. 220,000 is, is practically nothing. So they grew from a insignificant base to 19 million. But even after 19 million, take a look at these growth numbers. It goes from 19 million to 86 million in the next year. That is a 350% increase in revenue. Then in 2001 to 2002, it goes from 86 million to $439 million. The growth rate actually accelerated that year to 410% revenue growth rate. Then from 2002 to 2003, it went from $439 million to $1.46 billion. But if we look back before 2003, we can appreciate the climb in revenue here. It went from $220,000 in revenue to over $1.4 billion in five years. That's pretty incredible. There's only a handful of companies that have ever grown revenues this quickly. But what most companies don't do that Google uniquely did was not only did they grow revenues this quickly, but they did so largely profitably. In 2001, they posted their first profit of $6.9 million. In 2002, it raced ahead to $99 million. And then in 2003, it was $105 million in net income. So not only were they growing rapidly, like a lot of these tech growth startup companies, but they were growing rapidly and profitably. A unique combo. Nowadays, you always hear the excuse. Well, of course, this company isn't profitable, Joseph. It's focused on growth. They're reinvesting all of their money. Google was different. It grew at lightning speed. It grew profitably and it kept growing. So when I say that search is the best business in the world, it's not so much opinion as really looking at the data. There's not any other company that's been able to rely so heavily on one product to have such economic gain. But Google has done that with their search business. And to this day, search remains a cash cow. Now Google has enjoyed their moat and their profitability that their core business has provided to venture into other ventures like cloud, other bets, all of their Gmail and software suite applications. But now they find themselves with the resurgence of a new challenger, which is Microsoft. And Satya Nadella has been a CEO that's been very good at kind of forcing their way into different markets where they didn't have a head start. Think of the cloud business. Microsoft was not the first one into cloud. It was Amazon. Amazon had a six-year lead. And Microsoft has done a fantastic job making themselves second place taking market share from Amazon. And they've done that under the guidance of this CEO. And here Satya Nadella is, knowing that there's a big opportunity there to take market share from Google. And he goes on to highlight the economics of search. Well, I mean, we already have an at-scale search business, even though our share, as you rightly pointed out, is very, very small. Uh, the good news is we start in with already a business that is profitable. And here's the interesting thing. The most profitable, large software business is search. So I look at this and say, look, I just have to earn one user at a time, an incremental GM. I've never, ever 
felt this liberated in terms of opportunity in the days ahead. So I'm very excited about innovating, meeting the needs, knowing that the search category is the most profitable and large category. Just on Bing, Google makes more, I'm just on Windows, Google makes more money on Windows than all of Microsoft. Google makes more money on Windows than Microsoft does because Google owns search. So even though Microsoft owns Windows, they're not making as much money on Windows devices as Google. And Satya Nadella recognizes that every problem is an opportunity. And this is why I want to loop back to where I said, Microsoft has already won. I think Microsoft in this battle has already won. Now you might say, Joseph, how has Google lost when they have 92.2% of the search market and Microsoft only has 3.42%. So Google already has this dominant share of the market. How could they possibly lose? That is the reason that they lose in this position. Remember, as investors, we're looking at what's already priced in and we're looking at incremental gains and opportunities from different companies. Google already has the search market dominance. That's something already baked into the stock price, that they own this market, that they've benefited from it, that they get all the operating income, that they get all of the margins, all of the economics of a dominant share in search. That is already priced in to Google. So in this case, you compare that against Microsoft. Microsoft owns this measly 3.42% of the search market. It's meaningful, it's a good start, but investors in Microsoft are not pricing in large incremental gains in Bing. That's not a part of the Microsoft thesis. Investors in Microsoft don't really talk about Bing growing to 5% and 10% and 15% market share. I've never really heard that be a core part of any analysts or any investors thesis into Microsoft. Right now, Microsoft is already doing great with a tiny fraction of the Bing market. They're already growing free cash flows. They already have a massive enterprise business and a large cloud business. Most investors in Microsoft are looking at the company as the second place cloud player one that's competing with AWS and growing its incremental market share. They look at Microsoft as a company that has a suite of business-to-business -business applications. They look at Microsoft as a company that has a large gaming division with Xbox and the potential acquisition of Activision Blizzard. But investors aren't looking at Microsoft as a company that will have large market share of the search economics. So when I say that Microsoft has already won this battle and Google has already lost, here's a visual representation of what I mean. If we look at the actual search dominance in perspective, Microsoft has this tiny fraction. They have this three to 4% search market share. Google has the dominant 92.2%. Almost all of the value of Google's business is reliant on them staying the dominant search engine. Over half of Google's operating profits and net income come from the search business. They don't come from YouTube. They don't come from cloud. They don't come from Android. They come from search. So the company's core economics are reliant on them keeping this dominant market share. Then we have Microsoft that's not priced as this being a big part. So when I look at the risk reward here, I look at Microsoft as a company that can only benefit in this situation. All they can do is grow market share. It's unlikely they're gonna lose market share, they're 3.4%, and if they do, that's not a big deal. It's not a huge part of Microsoft's business, but they have far more ample opportunity to grow their market share. That is a net incremental benefit to Microsoft, another high margin aspect of their business that will grow over time. With Google already having 92% market share, it's far more likely that they're gonna lose market share over time. And if they have any market share stolen, from them with Microsoft or any other competitors, that is only downside. 
So in the situation of Google, I don't see any type of upside in this situation. The worst case for Microsoft is they don't gain much market share. And the best case for Google is that they maintain their current market share. Google has no way of benefiting here. Microsoft has no way of losing here. Another issue for Google is sacrificing the current economics of their search. For example, here's a presentation of the new AI being searched. They call it the Copilot for the web. At the center of this new Copilot experience is an all new Bing search engine and Edge web browser. You're gonna notice some subtle but important changes. First, we have an expanded search box capable of accepting up to 1,000 characters because now Bing works with natural language. And you saw a little hint to chat. With one click, you are now into chat. Bing knows the context and it just goes in and refires the queries. That's basically ChatGPT there. They just made a more powerful version of it and released it on the web. Bing can generate the content to help you get started. And with a simple request, just basically say, hey, translate it to Spanish. Bing knows to take that entire email and itinerary and convert that into Spanish. In fact, Bing can translate automatically in over 100 languages. We've just updated Edge with a new look and feel and new AI capabilities. As you can see here, it's sleeker, it's lighter. And you're gonna notice now that we've integrated Bing in a really cool new way. All of these amazing new capabilities and what we think is a revolutionary new experience. Bing search does look different. It looks sleek and they have instructions on the homepage explaining how to use it. For example, I can try out these different prompts that they give me. Let's go ahead and give this one a try. It loads up this panel off to the right here that answers the question with a chat. And this is a little bit different of an experience. It's an upgrade over the Google search. So Google's in a position where they have to respond to this. Satya Nadella is forcing their hand, making them change their website, making them change their Google search. And he's making them change it from their previously established economics. I mean, look, I have the greatest of admirations uh, for Google and what they've done. And, you know, they're, they're, they're an unbelievable company with great talent. And, you know, and I have a lot of respect for Sundar and his team. So therefore, uh, I just want us to innovate, right? So there's always, I mean, we compete today. Uh, today was a day where we brought some more competition to search. We've been at it. Believe me, I've been at it for 20 years and I've been waiting <laughs> for it. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, let's not, you know, we, they're the 800-pound gorilla on this, which is uh, what they are. And I hope that with our innovation, um, they will definitely want to come out and show that they can dance. And I want people to know that we made them dance. And I think that'll be a great day. Google might be the 800-pound gorilla, but Satya Nadella is making them dance. If I search that exact same query into Google, this is what it looks like. It gives me these squished images at the top. There is no chat bot or anything off to the right giving me explanation or recipes. And then I get to the menus here. This is the traditional Google search. And this is what Google's being forced to change. You can almost sense the panic at Google headquarters as they're dealing with this new competition. They've been reportedly having emergency meetings with the executives and top leaders, all hands on deck meetings of how they're gonna respond to the chat GPT as it blew up in the tech world being incredibly popular after release. Sundar Pichai is issuing a rallying cry in an internal memo to test their new bot, Bard AI. So they're coming out with their version of chat GPT. Now, when I was looking at Google today on Qualtrim, I noticed that the stock is down 7.37%. So almost an 8% drop today. That's a very large drop. And Qualtrim gives us a reasoning of why stocks trade the way they do if they have any big swings. It says that Alphabet shares are trading lower after the company's barred AI chatbot appeared to give an incorrect answer 
in a company ad. Well, that seems interesting. Let's go ahead and see if we can find that company ad. And it's that ad on Twitter. Apparently this gave a wrong answer. The third bulletin point in this response is incorrect. And a lot of people pointed that out. It got bad publicity right away. The very first advertisement for Bard, it's giving incorrect information. And this is something that Google has been previously concerned about, saying that if the company moves too fast into AI technology and they get things incorrect or they break things, that's going to damage their longstanding reputation. And we can even see a little example of that even in their first advertisement for Bard AI. And again, while Google is going through these challenges and struggles with balancing how quickly they move to AI, balancing how it will affect their current economics of their most highly profitable segment of their company, and dealing with balancing their reputation. While they're going through all those incredibly difficult and somewhat risky decisions, Sachin Adela is moving ahead. Um, best case, how long is it gonna take you to dethrone them? <laughs> no, first of all, it, it, it's, you know, to me, these paradigm shifts or platform shifts are a great opportunity uh, for us to innovate. Uh, the first thing that is a priority for me is not about dethroning anybody. It's more a priority for us to say, what, how can we rethink uh, what search was meant to be in the first place? In fact, Google's success in the initial days came by reimagining what can be done in search. And I think the AI uh, era that we're entering gets us to think about it. And that's what we're really motivated by, John. And the, what you saw today in terms of really building not just a new search experience, but thinking of it as what's a co-pilot for the web look like in this AI era is what's exciting. One of these companies is acting reactively, defensively, and scattered. The other is acting offensively, taking market share with confidence. So again, just to revisit, the reason that I believe that Microsoft has already won this battle is the positioning of the companies, what their implied valuations are, where they already have their economics, and what they have to gain and lose. Google has far more to lose in this situation than they have to gain. And Microsoft has far more to gain in this situation than they have to lose. So if I'm looking at this specific battle, I think Microsoft has won. Now, this isn't to say that I'm bearish on Google. I think the company has a lot going for them. And I do think that they'll put up a very strong defense of their market share. But it will be interesting to see how this plays out over time. I think that Microsoft is in a far less risky position. Now, moving on, I have to cover the story from the Wall Street Journal because I think it represents a large portion of the attitude of retail investors, what we're competing with and what we're working with. The Retreat of the Amateur Investors. That's the title of an article that was just released by the Wall Street Journal a couple days ago. Amateur trader Amar Gias says he amassed 1.5 million as stocks surged during the early part of the pandemic, gripped by a speculative fervor that cascaded across all markets. All of us know that, and we're all aware of it, if you were investing just a couple years ago, things got a little bit out of hand. And during that time period, it was very difficult to not speculate, to not jump into these crazy companies that were going up like crazy in value. But this guy, Amar, had his portfolio at one point in time at a value of $1.5 million. His gains swelled, so did his spending on everything from sports betting and bars to luxury cars. That doesn't surprise me one bit. The type of people that speculate on these incredibly risky companies are gamblers. And they're not investing, they are gambling. So the same type of investing and attitude that would lead you to invest in companies that would raise up to $1.5 million in only a couple of years is the exact same type of attitude 
They would have you betting at bars and buying luxury cars. The attitude of wanting a fast life. And that's not a good investing attitude. These are the worst type of investors. People that want continual excitement make the worst type of investors. He says he also borrowed heavily to amplify his positions. When the party ended, which it eventually inevitably will do for every single one of these people, it will inevitably end. His fortune evaporated thanks to some wrong bets and his excessive spending. To support himself, he says he now works at a deli in Las Vegas that pays him roughly 14 an hour plus tips. So that was a very quick change in fortune. He amassed 1.5 million. He spent it on betting, luxury cars, and the fast life. And then almost immediately, within just a couple of years, he's back to working at $14 an hour in a deli. Now, the reason that I highlight this story is because I think in this instance, as a trader, as a so-called investor, I don't think Amar Hare is unique at all. I think that many people have done the exact same thing, gotten caught up into speculation, not investing, trying to live an exciting life with exciting investments. And we can clearly see story after story of how this ends. Speculation and gambling has never been a proven way to amass sustainable wealth. And right now we're seeing a resurgence of the same exact junk companies that once were popular in 2020, now having their day again. The same company that he bet on heavily probably to make his fortunes, ticker symbol solo, is up 73% year to date. This will inevitably suck a lot of people into this type of stock, hoping they can quickly double their money or triple it with leverage. But keep in mind, these type of companies with poor fundamentals will eventually go back down. And unless you can time the market, which statistically has been proven to be something people cannot do, you're going to end up losing money in these type of companies that do not have strong fundamentals. So if you invested over the past couple of years and you actually stuck to decent companies with good fundamentals at reasonable valuations and you avoided the speculation and gambling that exists in the market, then I think you should pat yourself on the back because you are an actual investor. And in the end, investing will always make more money than gambling. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoy. I'll see you in the next one.